I'm not hearing the show going live. From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello, this is Ron Naraki, and this is the Wealth DNA Radio Show. Apologize for that little delay there. I was trying to get rid of an echo, otherwise you would be hearing my voice a second time. We're honored that you're joining us today. Hopefully you had some time for vacation this summer, are planning a vacation soon, or maybe taking an hour during your vacation now to tune in to today's show. Keep in mind, if you don't gain some new knowledge during this hour, we have a 200% money-back guarantee. Yes, we'll refund double what it paid, what you paid to listen. Now, admittedly, I'm very confident, as usual, that uh, we won't have to pay out any refunds at the end of the show, since we have a topic that's important to all current and future stock investors. Even if the show avoids you losing a substantial portion of your investment in a single company, the time will be well spent. If it helps you avoid a number of such failed investments, you'll likely become a lifetime spokesman for the Wealth DNA Radio Show. Now, regardless of where you are in the world, whether you're tuning into the live show or listening to the archive, I'm confident you'll be glad you joined us. And whether you're new to investing or have decades of experience, you're retired, working, or even unemployed, get a pen pad or maybe an electronic device you use for taking notes. Now, if you're driving, I suggest a recorder, take some notes, uh, or just wait to uh, listen to the archive, re-listen to the archive uh, version, and then take some notes. Our topic today is avoiding the value trap. Our focus is on equity investing and specifically value companies that you may feel are a bargain. Well, are they a bargain or are they a trap? That's our topic. Now, we have a tradition of using a quote to set the stage for this topic. Today, I obviously need to finish the three quotes I referred to on our show announcement. And the first is Warren Buffett's rule number one for investing, which I did share, never lose money. Several times in the show, we've covered the math of how much you have to make up for a loss. Uh, then just in case you've forgotten, let me remind you, let's say you lose 50% in a particular stock or even in your entire portfolio, you ha it has to rise then 100% to get you back to where you started. So 50% loss, 100% gain, just to break even. So obviously, Mr. Buffett feels that losing money is a major setback for an investor. The second quote is Warren Buffett's rule number two for investing. Never forget rule number one. Hmm. The rule clearly confirms his disdain for losing money. Now, obviously, knowing this simple principle or saying it is far easier than implementing. It's very similar to implementing the advice from the great philosopher and baseball catcher and coach, Yogi Berra, for stock picking. So let's get uh, Yogi Berra's version here. He says, buy a stock. If it goes up, sell it. If it goes down, don't buy it. So if you missed that, here's Yogi Berra's advice for stock picking. Buy a stock. If it goes up, sell it. If it goes down, don't buy it. 
Again, if you can't argue with his logic, but trying to follow it isn't so easy. So the overarching question we'll be addressing today is how to systematically avoid buying stocks that are likely to lose money. Today is Monday, July 27, 2015. It is 9.04 in Arizona at our studio, and likewise 9.04 in California, where our guest is. It's 12.04 p.m. on the U.S. East Coast and 18.04 in continental Europe, where I am this week. Now, incidentally, in just a few days, I'll be in Poland commemorating the 71st anniversary of the Warsaw Uprising. Those of you not familiar with that event, it was an attempt by the youth underground Warsaw to come up from underground in a a number of different places all at once to repel the German troops from the capital city during World War II. Now, to appreciate the magnitude of the mass killings, picture this. Do you remember the World Trade Center on 9-11-2001? Well, probably not too many people forgotten it. How many people died in that event in that one day? 3,000. And approximately 3,000 people died. Now, imagine events of similar magnitude to 9-11 happening for 61 days in a row. That would mean some 180 to 200,000 people would be killed. That's a quick overview of what happened in Warsaw, Poland, 71 years ago this week. Sometimes I wonder if world leaders understand history and the impact of the decisions they're making today, and if some of them won't eventually lead to similar massacres in the future. Did someone just mention the Iran deal? Anyway, you're listening to Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. This show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. Now, I certainly hope you join us each time we air, but if you miss some shows or you want to re-listen to them, you'll find them on the archive. Just go to wealthdna.us, where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived. And, of course, you can re-listen to this show from that same archive. The key challenge we're working on is to improve the search capability so you can find any show by topic, title, or guest. It's taking us a while, but we're working on it. If you do have a problem finding the show, feel free to contact me, ron at wealthdna.us. Our sponsor today is BI Solutions Corp, a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix, Scottsdale area. Now, before we move ahead, let me just mention the U.S. equity markets, uh, which are down 2% since the last record high in May, are off to a negative start. Asia was down with the Shanghai down 8.5% overnight. That's big. Europe just closed down between 1% and 2.5%, and Brazil is down. Hmm, something going on. Now, during the show in May, right after that last record high in the U.S., I said, I don't know about you, and this is a quote, I don't know about you, but when markets hit new highs, I like to trim my holdings, and I've never lost money taking profits. Now, hopefully you took advantage of my subtle tip there. And remember, I'm not allowed to tell you where the market's going next, but I will share those occasional pearls of wisdom. The advantage of joining us for the live show, you get to ask questions of our guest and of me, uh, make comments either using the chat window below the radio player, and it is up and waiting for your comments, or you can call in. uh, And that number I'll share with you in just a second. If you try either of those options, if you're listening to the archive, sorry, they won't work. I've tried. On the other hand, if you listen to the archive of the show, especially five or ten years in the future, you'll have some history to see how the information you hear on this show would have helped you avoid some losses had you joined us live. 
which you should. Our guest to discuss avoiding the value trap is Andrew Sather, a self-taught investor who specializes in avoiding these value traps. He's the founder of eInvestingForBeginners.com. He's also the co-founder of the Money Tree Investing Podcast and author of The Value Trap Indicator, examining the biggest bankruptcies of the 21st century to formulate a proven buy-low sell high approach. Let's give a warm welcome to Andrew Sather. Well, welcome, Andrew. Thank you for joining us and sharing some insights based on the research and the analysis you've done. Well, thank you, Ron. And it's uh, really an honor to be on the show and I'm excited to talk to you today. Well, I gave a brief overview of your background. How do you introduce yourself at a cocktail party? I guess it depends on what kind of a cocktail party I'm at. Um, really, I'm an electrical engineer by trade. And so I do this investing thing on the side and I kind of stumbled upon a method that's worked really well for me. So as I've gone along with my investing, I've been doing my best to educate other people with the methods that I'm learning and hoping that other people find success as well. So that's everything I do at eInvestingForBeginners.com. It's really, I'm not somebody with a big financial background, so I try to keep everything as simple as possible. So everything I share on the website is very straightforward, and I, I try to teach as many people in the simplest way that I can. Okay. So uh, knowing that, uh, I guess I would have called the site EE Investing, but most people would miss the humor on the electrical engineer. Now, you mentioned you're a self-taught investor, which uh, I'm assuming many of our listeners can relate to. Now, But in your view, what other common ways do people learn to invest? I, I think one great way, I mean, listening to radio, radio shows like this, you can obviously learn a lot of great things. You had the three great quotes in the beginning, two from Warren Buffett and one by Yogi Berra. Buy low, sell high, I think that's essential if you want to be a good investor. So listening to others who, who have had success is by far one of the best ways to do that. I think radio shows, podcasts, and books as well. Of mm-hmm. Some of the greatest lessons I've learned from investing have come from picking up a really good book and gaining some insights from that. Okay, well said. And speaking of that, of course, we'll be talking your, your, about your book. Now, when we did a series of shows on financial literacy a little while back, none of our guests ever took a personal finance or investing course in school. Did you have such a course? You're a little bit younger than probably uh, the average one of those, uh, those uh, particular guests. Yeah, I mean, like we mentioned, uh, I have an electrical engineering, very technical background. And it might mm-hmm. surprise people to, to hear that I never took any sort of finance class or investing class in school. And I think that's the beauty of it. If if somebody like me can learn the concepts of investing, I, I think Warren Buffett said that investing is supposed to be simple. If it's complicated, you're probably doing it wrong. And so mm-hmm. the fact that I don't have financial background, and I think that speaks to how anybody can really, if you have the passion and if you have the desire to learn about investing it's something that you can do and you can pick up and you can obviously that's why shows like yours exist people can learn about how to make their money grow and make more money from their money okay i'm glad you worked to pick the word desire but that's a whole other topic for the regular listeners who know that the dna framework is but what inspired you or maybe who inspired you to start learning about investing was it just the fact that you had a little bit of uh, cash uh, left after uh, after getting your paycheck and uh, spending it on the essentials that you decided you need to do something with it well actually i remember 
when I was really young, so I can't remember who gave me the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And the basic mm-hmm. concept of that book is you want to be an owner and get out of the, the cycle of spending. If you can become an owner, then you can, like I said, make your money work for you. And so that was a fascinating concept for me because as an individual, I can only make myself work 24 hours in a day, but money can work for you while you sleep. It can work much harder, much longer than you can. And so that kind of planted the seed in me to have this mindset shift where I'm going to look at money in a different way. And then I was fortunate to have a mentor who guided me through the process. I was so inspired because he, he, he came to me one day with a brand new Corvette and I I was fascinated with the car. Obviously it's a great looking car. It's fast Mm -hmm. and loud. And I, he, what he said to me was, you know, I bought this Corvette with, with money. I sold, I sold some stocks to buy this Corvette. So once he told me that I listened to everything he had to tell me about investing and it really turned me on to this idea that, wow, you can really make a great amount of money in the stock market. And from there on, you know, once, once that desire was sparked in me, I was able to pursue it and look for other mentors out there and you can find them. Uh, Ron, I think you're a great mentor for your audience. You, every, every, other week here on the Wealth DNA show, you're Mm -hmm. helping your audience and educating them. And that's the the type of thing that you need to pursue if you want to be successful in the stock market. Well, I can't disagree with that account. And I also can't disagree with, and I totally endorse your uh, notion of reading books and and Rich Dad Poor Dad is always one early in the list that we put for, uh, for young investors. The other that I'm highly recommending for somebody is their first book. Uh, If it's not Rich Dad Poor Dad, it's the, uh, uh, Richest Man in uh, Babylon, very, very short book, but a great one to get you thinking in this saving mode as opposed to spending. Um, and uh, so, you know, I totally agree with those things and, and well said. Appreciate your comments on that. Yeah. One other thing I, I guess I really, I'm, I'm hoping. Sure, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. I, I really like Richest Man in Babylon as well. I think that's that's like top three of the books I recommend for people. Good, good. We're right on the same page without have, without comparing notes ahead of time, just so our listeners don't think we uh, we queued <laughs> that up. Uh, but I'm hoping that you know, sometime in the future, maybe 10 or 15 years from now, we'll have uh, folks on that are talking about having learned about investing and contributing now to our show that learned about it as teenagers uh, from the Wealth DNA Radio Show. That's kind of part of my dream is that we are uh, one of those places, and, and maybe they listen with both parents. And we always encourage parents to uh, to have their kids listen with them, as opposed to just listening by themselves. Themselves and uh, you know, assuming the kids are too young to know this stuff, so uh, part of part of my goal. But before we dig into specifics, Andrew, would you share with our listeners how they'd contact you, learn more about you, and how to access some of the podcasts in your book? Yeah, so you can you can find my book at einvestingforbeginners.com. I have a little tab there where I keep all the products and services I offer, and my podcast is at moneytreepodcast.com. And I want to thank you for letting me talk about that. It's it's a mm-hmm. a weekly podcast where we bring in four different guests and we have a panel discussion. So it, it's really a, sh- a show where we can get all these different insights and it's instead of being one-sided, we can get a lot of different ideas and from there the listeners can decide what idea they like on any particular topic. So obviously it's a different topic every week and we go through and we have a panel discussion after our main interview. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, that's actually how we met. So that's uh, one of the things I want to make sure people know is out there. And again, I just want to repeat that it's e-investing for beginners, and four is spelled out. It's not one of these uh, numeral four kinds of things. So fourbeginners.com, where you can get that link for the book. Um, and is there also a way to contact you through there? Can they send you some questions or comments uh, through that website as well? Yes, of course. There's a there's a contact me tab on there, and you can find another contact me tab on the top of two. Okay, cool. Now let's start with a basic question here. The question is what? What is a value trap? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So, you know, we talk about buy low, sell high. It works really well, like Yogi Berra said, when you buy low and the stock goes higher and then you can sell high. The problem is sometimes the stock is buy low because it actually does have issues. So we need to differentiate mm-hmm. between buy low when it's an opportunity and buy low when it becomes what we call a value trap. And that's when you buy this stock when it's low and it just keeps going lower. So obviously that's the biggest problem with buy low, sell high. And so that's why I was most passionate about solving this particular problem. Okay. So in Yoga Bear's words, we shouldn't buy those stocks. Uh, Except knowing that ahead of time is part of the trick we want to talk about today. But let me ask you the next basic question. Why? I mean, why should I be concerned about this value trap? What's the worst that could happen to me if if, if I buy one of these stocks that isn't going to go up um, after I buy it? And, you know, I bought it at a 4 PE or something like that. And it looked like a great deal. And uh, price earnings, of course, is what I was referring to. Uh, You know, I, I bought this stock. What's the worst that could happen to me? Well, the very worst is bankruptcy, and it's. You might think that you know it only happens when, when we have a crisis, or you think of the 2008 where the banks were bailed out. Actually, bankruptcies happen all the time, and and it's something that's a risk anytime you buy a stock. And so, obviously, the something negative that could happen is that you lose a lot of money. The worst case is you lose all your money. So. Uh, Warren Buffett's rule number one, we never lose money. That's the number one focus that we should have. Okay, so bankruptcy does indeed sound scary, and that does sound like I'm going to lose all of my money. Uh, But are there different types of bankruptcies that um, are out there that I need to to know about? Yeah, there is. That's, That's a great question as well. So there is a Chapter 7 bankruptcy and a Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Okay. And the key difference between those? So a Chapter 7 is a complete liquidation. That's basically the company is completely over leveraged. There's no way it can pay off its debts or its liabilities. So you know it goes to court and they just completely liquidate everything. Everything is gone. A Chapter 11 is a little bit nicer. It kind of gives the company a, ch- a chance when it comes to Maybe they can rebuild. It's more of a reorganization of assets. But the mm-hmm. the thing is, whenever whether it's a Chapter Seven or a Chapter Eleven, um, that that could have an effect on what happens maybe to the company brand name or maybe what happens to the chief executive officer, the CEO. His fate might depend on that. However, if you're a shareholder, if a company goes bankrupt, whether it's Chapter Seven or Chapter Eleven, you're gonna mo more you're going to most likely lose all your money. In the case of a bankruptcy, it's the bondholders who have the priority of getting paid back, and then the shareholders might get paid back if there's any left over. Uh, but the odds of that happening are not great for you when you're a shareholder. So whether it's a Chapter 7 or a Chapter 11, it is not good news for the stockholder. 
Okay, so if I wrap that part up, I would say the worst that can happen to me and the reason I'm worried about this, it could go into bankruptcy. If it does go into bankruptcy, I could basically lose all of my investment. So 100% loss is definitely not good. No matter how much it goes up after that is not going to help me. Uh, so forget about the recovering from a, from a 100% loss. Okay, fair enough. Now, Andrew, would it be fair to say that if a company has a choice, they'll choose Chapter 11, they'll try to continue operating, as you said, whereas Chapter 7 is more focused on uh, you know the creditors saying, hey, you guys are uh, you know defunct, we're shutting you down, you haven't been able to pay us, and, and uh, we're, it's kind of a forced chapter, uh, I mean, forced bankruptcy more than uh, Chapter 11 would be? Yeah, I think... That's a great way to kind of describe what goes on. Obviously, there's a lot of technical jargon that goes, and there's a lot of meetings that go on behind the scenes. A Chapter 11 is something that's looked at as more of a decision where Chapter 7 is, okay, you know, we're, we're just way too much in the red. And so that's something that needs to be shut down. Okay. Now, let me remind our listeners, you're tuned to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. Our sponsor today is BI Solutions Corp., a real estate fund in the Phoenix Scottsdale area, a great company to help you diversify your portfolio. Now, if you've missed some of the prior shows or you want to re-listen to them, we maintain an archive of shows on Wealth DNA. US. If you'd like to get an email reminder of the show or have trouble finding a past show, just send an email to me, ron at wealthdna.us. We'll also keep you posted about future shows and events. Now, a reminder, during the show, we welcome you to ask questions, make comments. Easiest is to start a chat in the chat window below the radio player, and I will scan through that as we're talking so that way we can fit it in at the appropriate time. Or you can call in. That number is 917-388-4162, which is also at the top of the screen. Now, our topic today is avoiding the value trap. Our guest is uh, Andrew Sather. He's the founder of eInvestingforbeginners.com, co-founder of the Money Tree Investing Podcast, which is a regular show he just described, and the author of The Value Trap Indicator, a book we're talking about. Okay, Andrew, you've analyzed a number of past uh, bankruptcies, and you've mentioned a number of them in your book. Have uh, they all been one of the types, or some of you know, or some of them, Chapter Seven and Chapter Eleven? And let's not confuse that with, uh, of course, the the chain of Seven Eleven con- uh, convenience stores. We're talking about bankruptcy here. We're not talking about convenience stores. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. So there are um, a good mix of Chapter Seven and Chapter Eleven. From what so, like you said, I, I analyzed a lot of these bankruptcies, and that was the thesis behind the book that I wrote. Was I wanted to look at all the, the biggest bankruptcies of, of the 21st century. Let's look back through all of them and see if we can find a recurring theme. So the most of them were Chapter Sevens, a few were Chapter Elevens. It was a healthy mix, and it, it's it's something that regardless if it was a Chapter Seven or a Chapter Eleven, it was the financial numbers behind it were were such that even if they did choose a Chapter 11, let, let's say they delayed the Chapter 11 and they, they tried to continue operations another year, eventually they would go bankrupt just because their situations were so bad. So it wasn't so much choosing the Chapter 11 when it was. It's more of, okay, these companies just have really bad business models or just bleeding cash. And so that's why they go into these bankruptcies. Each, what was fascinating about it was each story kind of had a different thing. So it wasn't all the, all, all the same sign like that a company would go bad. Every 
bankruptcy, and I highlight 12 of the biggest ones in the book, each one had a unique lesson and a unique story to why they went bankrupt. So there's a million, there's a million ways to go bankrupt, but there's only one way to not go bankrupt, and it's really to, to have everything working well for you right. in a business. Okay, well said. So if we if we paraphrase Yoga Berry, he would say, uh, before you buy Enron stock, read Andrew's book, uh, which uh, came out a little bit after Enron. But uh, and that is one of the companies. But now, of the ones mentioned in your book, uh, name a few which were Chapter 11. Uh, well, let's do Chapter 11. That's fine. What, what were Chapter 11? Just pick uh, you know a couple of the companies so that we can get a, get a feel for which are Chapter 11, and then we'll do the same for Chapter 7. Okay, yeah. So... So there were a few. Uh, I really liked the a company called Tribune. The the lessons behind that they were a Chapter Eleven, and what was interesting mm-hmm. about it was for for three four years they had really great financials. They had everything you would look for in a company, and they actually looked like a great buy. So they had uh, things like earnings. They had great assets. They had a lot of cash coming in. I mean, th- these are mm-hmm. these are very financial terms, but the concepts are the same as in personal finance. When somebody has a great income, they have a great job. When they have a lot of savings, that's like having assets. It's, it's, it's quite easy when you see numbers to understand when a company is doing well and when it's not. In the case of, of Tribune, they, they had great numbers for, for three, four years, and then the last year before bankruptcy, all of a sudden they saw their debt balloon to to a crazy number. And in that year they had more liabilities than assets. So in in the hmm. example of a, a personal finance, it's like somebody who has more debt than than what they owe in assets, a house, you know, investment accounts, whatever that may be. So for a company like Tribune, when when you're when you have more liabilities than assets you're basically that is unsustainable and it's a situation where bankruptcy is almost inevitable. So yeah, they did do a chapter 11, which like you mentioned near the top of the show, that's more of a choice where the company is choosing to go that route. But when you're in a situation where you have more liabilities than assets, it's really hard. if not impossible to climb out of that situation. And if you get into a situation like that, that means that something is seriously flawed in your business model. So while a company like Tribune, which is a publishing company, on the surface in the media, everybody was saying, well, yes, this is obvious. You know, the publishing world is going awry. The Internet is kind of taking over the publishing <laughs> world and making it obsolete. So that's, that's what's going on on the surface. But if you dig into the numbers, you'll see that the numbers actually reflect what the narrative is that the media is spreading. So it's, it's, it's impossible to predict every bankruptcy just based on narrative because our world sure. is always changing and one trend will, will, will get rid of another and one technology will spurn another. But what remains constant is that when one company gets taken over by another, that company that's losing will reflect that loss in its financial statements. And so investors who potentially would have been in Tribune if they would have looked at the numbers the year before they went bankrupt, they could have easily seen that there were more liabilities than assets and quickly gotten out of a situation like that before they lost all their money. 
Okay, and I guess your your point on the uh, the narrative, I guess we could say that uh, even though you know the, the the whole newspaper and the whole media industry is under a lot of duress because of the internet, uh, that doesn't mean every one of the companies is going out of business and they're all going to go bankrupt. So that's uh, what you're really saying is just because the story is bad doesn't mean the companies go bad. On the other hand. Um, you know, even somebody with a good story and in a good industry could still go bankrupt if they're not running the business right. Absolutely. Okay. Let's get an example or two of the Chapter 7. You mentioned that more of them were Chapter 7. Uh, give us an example or two of the uh, Chapter 7s that you cover in your book. Yeah, sure. So um, Circuit City is a classic example of a Chapter 7. Now, this is a company that, uh, again, it has the narrative of being in this retail space where it was being taken over by Best Buy, less people were going to Circuit City for their electronics purchases, more were going to Best Buy. That's that's something that's easy to say from the past. We can look and say, okay, yeah, sure, it's sure. obvious. It's more of a confirmation bias type of, type of deal. But if you dig into the numbers, they had two years in a row before their bankruptcy where they were posting negative earnings, which means their business, the number one goal of a business is to make a profit. And so for two years, that sure. company was failing in, in that, in that, in that one goal. So it didn't matter how much cash, how much net cash was on their cash statement. It didn't matter how many assets they had when they, as soon as they went into the red, that, that signaled trouble for the shareholders. And unfortunately a lot of the shareholders didn't recognize this until it was too late. And so by the second year that they had negative earnings, they were bankrupt. And so that's a situation where they went into Chapter 7, kind of more forced into the bankruptcy. But again, it's similar to the Tribune bankruptcy in that the problems in the company were explicit in the financial statements. And whenever I'm talking about financial statements and these numbers, I'm talking about uh, information that's publicly available and that every company is required to, to report every single year. And so these aren't these aren't mystical things that are that are hidden behind the vaults of these big public companies. This is publicly available information that the company is releasing and that any any investor can look up. And unfortunately, because a lot of these financial statements are mired, I mean, if you look up a financial statement, it has a hundred plus pages. There's there's just a wall of text and it's it seems to be impossible. Mm-hmm that anybody can understand something like this unless you have an accounting degree. That's, that's why when I went through these bankruptcies and from the mentors I had, I was able to learn how to decipher them in a very simple way. And so what these numbers tell us is a very simple story, such as in Circuit City's case, they were not able to turn a profit on their operations and that's why they went bankrupt. And so once you can get the, you can understand and take a conclusion from the numbers then it doesn't matter what industry you look at, you can be able to, like a doctor who knows, okay, the heart goes here, the lungs go here. When the lungs fail, this is what I do. In the same token, you can be an investor, look at the numbers. When the numbers say this, when the numbers say that, this is how we avoid the value trap so that the next time we run into a company that's in trouble, we'll know that not to buy low in that situation. 
Okay. So let's let's go back to, to me. Let's say I'm a, a value investor. I look for underpriced stocks. Uh, I, I think I'm hearing that the way to differentiate between these buy low bargains that are really a good deal, they're going to go up and, uh, and make money, as Yogi Berra would suggest, or, um, uh, you know, differentiating that from the uh, buy low value trap that, you know, the numbers are at least the, the, the uh, uh, it's a cheap stock, I guess is the term I'm looking for, but it does have value trap. It sounds like the answer is in uh, the financial reports, and that's where we need to get the uh, the indicator to tell us that uh, that this could be a problem. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely right. So, in any situation, a, a company or a stock can be a buy low, and like you said, it, the the money is made in the ability to differentiate between the bargains and the value traps. It's all about avoiding the value traps. So what I found, and you know, you'll 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 find from a lot of different experts, they all have their one magic pill formula. They think, you know, a, a lot of time it, it does work most of the time. So uh, somebody like, I don't know, I don't want to say names, but diff, different famous investors have their own different metrics that they use, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and they do work a lot of the time. A low a low ratio will give us a, a better chance. I. I kind of took took it from a different approach. Like I said, I don't have the typical background. I have a more electrical engineering problem-solving background. So I took it from the approach of forget what all the experts and the gurus are saying. Let's take let's take an entire approach and let's look at the whole picture. So if if we look at the financial statements, you can break them down three different ways, and it's it's the three statements that they submit to the to the to the federal government. It's the income statement, the balance sheet, and the cash flow statement. And all those things do, all that they're telling us is the income statement is like somebody's checking account. It's just saying how much money is coming in right now, how much money is going out. That's our checking account. That tells us how is our health, our financial health currently. And then the balance sheet is just simply how is our long-term health. That That's that's uh, how's the long-term health of the business look like. This is like uh, a person's net worth. You know, if they have a high net worth but they're struggling in the short term, well, they're probably still fine in the long term. And then the cash flow statement tells us what what does the future of of the the company look like. So what's important between the three financial statements is that we need to take aspects of every every statement. We can't just focus on, like a lot of the gurus will maybe just focus on the income statement, or maybe some of them will mm-hmm. just focus on the balance sheet. We can't do that because looking at the, like I said, looking at all the bankruptcies, it's always a different story with every bankruptcy. They're always failing in one aspect. If we instead include, and with the value, so I formulated a value trap indicator, which included every, every case of bankruptcy that went wrong. So if we include aspects from the income statement, aspects from the balance sheet, and aspects from the cash flow statement, and if we <laughs> encompass all of those things, then when one when one signal trigger, triggers bad, then that's how we'll know to avoid it. So we're not trying to maximize and trying to find the best bargain. What we're trying to find is just one single red flag, which will warn us that even though every other number looks fine, there's one mm-hmm. thing that, that we should avoid and that should worry us. And so that's why they're called value traps because sometimes they look great and they will have great numbers seemingly across the board, 
but there's always one aspect that seems to get overlooked. And that's why value traps are so deadly because they fool a lot of the common investor with great ratios in one aspect and not great ratios in the other. Okay. Before we dig into the detail, though, of the uh, secret sauce here, the value trap indicator or indicators, uh, given what you're saying, some of our listeners, their first reaction or their next reaction would be, well, you know, with all of this and going through the numbers, wouldn't it just be easier to focus on growth stocks instead? So, yeah, growth growth is a, a necessary component of a company. That's what's fueling the the share price appreciation. Without growth, you don't have a stock that's going higher. On the flip side, a lot of these growth stocks will get bid up and they'll become almost like this tulip mania that we saw um, are, are, do you, are you familiar with the, the tulip mania? Sure. Oh, absolutely. 1700s. Yeah. So, it was a big yeah, I mean, time, but I am. <laughs> right. So, right. So, I mean, that was a classic case of of a a commodity becoming so desired and demanded that the price was inflated to a crazy amount. So, while on the one token, we want to be trying to find a bargain, we also want to avoid companies that are just being bid up because they are trendy. And so when you have a company with a very high valuation, it gets into this bubble type territory where instead of becoming a bargain, now it's extremely expensive. And when a, when the stock is extremely expensive, I mean, Yogi Bear knows, knows right, right? If, you, if, <laughs> if it's really high already, it's going to be much harder for it to, to go higher unless you get a, a lot of growth. And as, as a company gets more expensive, it needs more and more growth in order to have the stock price go higher. So you you can and you should look for growth in companies, but focusing exclusively on growth will lead you to find these companies that might be more like the tulips and will be extremely expensive. And when those, well, the thing about the bubble is that it always pops. And so when these bubbles do pop and some of these fancy and popular trends go by the wayside, you'll see as fast as they as fast as they go up, that's as fast as they'll fall. So it's it's another value trap situation that investors need to learn how to avoid. And that's something that, again, by looking into the numbers, it can tell us if a company or a stock is cheap or expensive. Okay, and so Blockbuster would be a good example. I was just looking at your list in the in the book, and Blockbuster is one that just you know couldn't couldn't do anything wrong. I mean, it was just growing like crazy because everybody's going to rent videos, and we're no longer to go to the uh, movie theaters. It's so much cheaper, and we have them all over the place. And there's a good example where uh, it really got bit up like crazy until it didn't. Yeah, that's right. And then you know, once things started to go bad in the company, and you you'd see it in the financial statements then all of a sudden the stock price crashes and that really can can hurt a lot of investors when a, when a stock goes up too fast and then falls just as fast. Now, you're not a fan, as, as I read in your book, uh, of growth stocks. What are some of the other preferences that you mentioned in your book? Uh, I think one of the others that I came, to, came to mind is uh, – uh, stocks that pay a dividend, uh, that you prefer those. Uh, give us a feel for some of your overall preferences before we get back to the value trap here. Yeah, sure. So actually one of the big things that I'm a huge proponent of is companies that pay a dividend. And one of the rules that I hold for myself is that I won't buy a stock that doesn't pay a dividend. 
Um, the, the reasoning behind that is because the way I look at investing is I want to invest for cash flow. So the way I, I like to picture it in your mind is if, if you buy, let's say, a piece of real estate as as a mm-hmm. investment, right? You're not you're not buying. Sure, if you're a flipper, maybe you're trying to just fix it up and sell it for quick profit. But a lot of the real estate investors will buy a piece of rental property, and the reason they'll buy it is for the cash flow. They want cool. to maybe fix up fix up the house, but then have other people live in the house, pay them rent, and sometimes they can use that rent to even pay the mortgage. But mm-hmm. it's 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 this concept of having a cash flow and having an income from your investment so that whether it goes up or down, you're still compounding your wealth. If you're getting a consistent income stream, then you can additionally use that money and throw it into more investments. That's where you get the magic of compounding interest. Or you can just pocket that investment and you see a, an immediate gain. So the same concept works in the stock market as well. As long as you're always buying stocks that pay a dividend, you're getting a source of income with every investment you make. And so that gives you this sense of security when a, when the stock market isn't doing too well. You know, as long as you're 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 following the, the concepts I teach where you're avoiding companies that have bad financials and that are going through tough times. That's that's, you know, that's important on the onset. But additionally with that, sometimes you might make a great investment, you might buy a great stock and you might buy a great company, but the a recession may hit or the stock market just might be bearish for a few years. If you have a dividend investment, you're still making money even through that tough time. And so that's why I like and I'm a huge proponent of dividend investing. You want to get that that source of, of cash flow because if you're not, I mean honestly, I think it's gambling if you're if you're trying to invest and you're not focusing on cash flow. When you have a, a focus on cash flow you'll tend to make safer investments and you'll also tend to to make money on, on the income. And then if, if it happens to appreciate, which it tends to do as well, then that's like the extra bonus on the take. Okay. And I don't remember the exact quote, but I remember George Bush was quoted by saying that earnings were an estimate, but dividends were fact. Uh, so I guess that would be a, uh, a supporter of, of that strategy at well. Uh, but let me let me just take a pause here to uh, remind our listeners who just tuned in, you're listening to the Wealthy Indian Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. If you missed the earlier part of the show, you can re- re-listen to that portion on the archive. If you missed prior shows, same story. You can find them on the archives, wealthdna.us. Today, our guest is Andrew Sather. Our topic is avoiding the value trap, which is also the top of his book which is the value trap indicator. Um, Okay, Andrew, back to the value trap. If I want to invest in value stocks, I I happen to have a degree in finance. I was a CFO for many uh, multinationals, but I don't necessarily have the time or patience to go through all the annual reports and 10Ks. Uh, It would seem to be a lot worse, as you mentioned, a person that doesn't have that accounting or finance background. Uh, Would they just be better off buying index funds? I th- yeah, I, I think um, so, so. A great way to to reduce your risk is to buy an index fund, and that's that's really the name of the game, and that's what I've been trying to preach when I when I, when I wrote this book and when I'm talking to other people about my process. You really want to reduce risk. It's it's all about 
finding out the best ways to not lose money because really if you cannot lose money that's the best way you'll compound your money and you'll grow your wealth that much faster on the flip side just just because so so there's a difference between i guess not wanting to go through the financial statements and there's a difference between sticking your head in the sand so mm-hmm. a person who maybe doesn't want to take the time to go through the annual reports also needs to still be aware of what's going on generally with the market and what's what's going on with their investments and what's what's causing these things to go up or down so somebody very well could buy an index fund and i think if 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 you're a person who doesn't want to go through individual stock picking if it doesn't make sense to you and if you're not comfortable with it i don't think it's something you should should go after but in the same token it's it's something that just buying the index fund itself won't solve all your problems. There needs to be an okay. understanding and this mindset where you understand, okay, the market appreciates for the long term and it will generally it will go up, but just because I buy an index fund that doesn't mean I'm safe. The market could crash tomorrow and if I sell out when the market crashes, well again, that's not following the principles of buy low, sell high. Instead you are selling low and buying high. So mm-hmm. even though somebody doesn't want to go through all the work of, that I talk about in my book of, of going through the financial data, and really, if you read my book, you'll understand that the work that I talk about really isn't that much work at all. And it's a skill that you learn once and you can apply it for the rest of your life. I mean, nowadays, when I look for a company, within five minutes, I can... I have determined whether it's a great buy or not, and I can determine whether it's it's in trouble where it might go into bankruptcy or not. So, yes, it, it took a lot of work on the front end of learning these concepts and really processing them and understanding that earnings are just the the chief goal of a business, and debt is the same as debt with personal finances. If you have too much, you're going to go bankrupt. So these 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 really two general principles of in, of investing and finance apply throughout the stock market and throughout these stocks. And so if you can learn them and process it now, then you'll do, you'll do much better for yourself down the road. So once a stock market crash does hit, you'll be mentally prepared to know, okay, I understand that this is just what the market does. And so even if I'm in an index fund, I still need to understand that I need to ride the course and just let this thing ride out. The only people who get hurt on the roller coaster are the ones who jump off, and it's the same with your investments, whether you're buying index funds or you're buying stocks. Okay. So you've got us kind of hooked on we should get to know the process. Eventually it gets easier because we've got it. So tell us a little bit about what is your recommended process for avoiding these value traps? How do you analyze them? Yeah, that's a that's a big big question for sure. So the biggest thing really is you want to so so if if I if I look at the bankruptcy data and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell the listeners right now the the biggest takeaway from the book was that um of all the 30 bankruptcies I looked at the most common indicator of a company that was about to go bankrupt was negative earnings. Mm-hmm. So you remember I talked about the Circuit City uh, example where they had negative earnings for two years. Well, it turns out the most common 
the most common thing, it doesn't matter if it was one year, two years, five years, whenever a company has negative earnings, they're just telling you, we are failing at being a profitable company and you should avoid us no matter what. So the the, the biggest takeaway that you can learn, if it's, it's the only thing you take away from this whole interview, is do not buy a stock when it has negative annual earnings. This is, this is just, it was the most common thing and it's like over and over and over again you saw a company would go negative earnings and then they would go bankrupt. They would show negative earnings and then they would go bankrupt. So there are cases hmm. where a company can show negative earnings and you might be able to find the recovery stories, but why gamble with your money? There's 500 companies in the S&P 500, so sure. many options that you can take with your investments. So don't gamble on a, on a company that has negative earnings. If I'm telling you that I researched all of the, the bankruptcies and this was the number one thing, well, then this should be the number one thing we avoid. So that would be the first thing. And then the second thing is okay. the the biggest correlation to bankruptcy was debt. And so, I mean, that makes sense. In the Like I said, in the personal finance world, the more debt a person has, the more risk they are to go bankrupt. So in the stock market, mm-hmm. it's the exact same way with these companies. They will post their total assets, their total liabilities, and their equity. So in a case like I talked about with Tribune, they had more liabilities than assets. So that that means that they have so much negative debt equity, and they have yeah. they have negative equity in that case and that's that's even right. worse. But um a company like Lehman Brothers, for example, that was a classic value trap because from the income statement, everything looked flawless. They had growing dividends, they had growing earnings, they had everything from an income point of view was fantastic. They were they were quoted on um top top media was, was calling them the t- one of the top five companies in America. They they were <laughs> they appeared on the service to look fine. However, when you looked at the balance sheet and like I say, when you're avoiding value traps, the the reason why the indicator the value trap indicator that I have formulated works so well is because it spans across the whole picture. Let's look at the whole picture. So when you looked at the balance sheet, it turned out that they had 40 times the debt to their equity. So the average company has about one. Wow. The, the ratio is one. So they have about the same mm-hmm. amount of equity as debt. Lehman Brothers have 40 times more equity than the debt. And this was in the year before bankruptcy. So you, when the, these numbers are posted, you still have three, four, five, six, seven months to get out of the company. Once, once you can see the data, a lot of mm-hmm. investors didn't. And so, you know, even though Lehman Brothers was a financial company, they're a bank, investment bank, so banks will tend to have more leverage than the regular company, they were still 40 times more leverage than the average company, four times more leverage than the average bank. So I don't care how good your income numbers are, when you have that much debt, you're just asking for a bankruptcy to happen. And so that's the other thing is, the two biggest takeaways was number one, a negative earnings means completely stay away. And number two is mm-hmm. if we look at the debt, a company with too much debt compared to everybody else will be more of a risk. And, you know, a lot of the growth that they get is because of the debt. So they'll have a lot, a lot of times they'll have great income numbers, but because people don't know that you need to look past the income numbers, you need to look past the, the, the base numbers that are on maybe Yahoo finance or Google finance, look at the balance sheet, which is also reported next to the income statement, then you can understand, okay, we can we can get rid of debt, we can stay away from debt, stay away from uh, negative earnings, and already off the bat, we're, 
we are avoiding a lot of the potential bankruptcies. And so I, I took the value trap indicator and we looked, like I said, 30 companies. Mm-hmm. So what, how the indicator works is it, it takes all of the numbers and it basically outputs a number. If the number is okay. less than 250, it's a strong buy. If it's higher than 800, it's a strong sell. Basically, all the indicator is doing is just flagging any one category that's way too high and then giving us a red flag in the number and saying, this is a strong sell. This is a strong buy. This is a strong sell. So what the indicator flashed for every single bankruptcy, it would have avoided 96 of the bank, 96% of the bankruptcies that we looked at. So just okay. by using the indicator alone, you're, you are avoiding almost every single bankruptcy case. And so the reason why that works is because we are taking, we're, we're going past this, this narrow approach and we're looking at the whole picture. If any one thing is bad, we're, we're going to stay away from that. And so when a company has an issue and when it's, when it's not, when it's not healthy, it's going to have a negative symptom in one aspect or the other. They might be able to pretty themselves up and look good in one aspect, but the, the, the troubles in the company can never be hidden. And so it's, when we have an indicator that looks at all three financial statements, we're able to identify each case and stay away from almost every single value trap. Okay, a couple more key questions. Uh, first of all, uh, after going through your book, will the reader have how to compute that value indicator, uh, value trap indicator for any given stock? Will they have the, if, if you will, the formula to plug the numbers into? Absolutely. The, that's so. The book I try to teach. The book kind of progresses where I start with all the the key mindset shifts you need to have. I talk about how you need to have compounding interest. You need to hold for the long term. Basic investing principles that any beginner mm-hmm. who maybe doesn't have, maybe you have never even read a financial book. This can be your, your, your start, and you can understand exactly from the beginning to the end what the mindset shift needs to be to, to succeed. Then from there, I talk about the seven categories. There's seven categories that we look at, and those are going to span um, every single value trap situation. I, I talk about those, and then from there, I talk about how the number itself is calculated. And then we look at 12 of the biggest bankruptcies, and I talk about every single one. And Yeah, and then we, we do the calculations there and show why these companies could have been easily avoided if we had a tool like the Value Trap Indicator. Okay. Now, do you see yourself eventually setting up a service where you do this value trap uh, calculation for a whole variety of companies, let's say for the whole S&P 500 or for, uh, for the, um, um, what's the um, 5,000, uh, either not the Russell I'm thinking of, the, uh, the other one. Anyway, it doesn't matter for a whole you know, batch of stocks. Do you see yourself ever setting up a service like that or uh, pretty much leaving it to, to an individual investor to do the calculations on stocks he's interested in? Yeah, so I actually um, do have a, a similar service to that. I have a newsletter where I personally, so obviously I'm using this indicator myself for my own investment. Mm-hmm. So what I do with this newsletter that I release, is called the Sailor Research e-letter. And in that newsletter, I always give my number one best stock pick and I break down the company, why I'm excited about it. And then I break down how I was able to calculate this value trap indicator score and I actually share the value trap indicator score on that company. What's unique about the service I provide is that I am following that 
that plan with with uh, my own individual retirement account. So I have a Roth IRA set up where I'm making transactions based on these positions that I share in the newsletter. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually tracking the results of that portfolio on the newsletter. So the goal for that portfolio is to hit a million dollars in 40 years. So uh, I'm taking, what I'm doing is I'm taking a small amount of money. It's like 150 bucks a month. And we're investing that every single month in these different companies, these dividend paying companies that are mm-hmm. not value traps. And we're, we're going to see if we can hit $1 million by the end of, of 40 years. And, and I I'm just tracking lost your voice. I hope you're hearing Sorry. mine. I, I lost your you voice there for a second. Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. Uh, let me remi- let's remind our listeners. We're going to run out of time here of how they reach you. What's the website again for uh, uh, for the uh, podcast you do? The the one you found it. Yeah, the the so the podcast and actually you we did an interview together and you're going to be one right. of the guests in a couple of weeks. So people can look for that. the The website's MoneyTreePodcast.com for mm-hmm. the podcast. MoneyTreePodcast.com, and of course we have the eInvestingForBeginners.com is the other one. And uh, can you can also get information on the newsletter for those? I'm sorry, uh, the, I think I lost you there. Can you repeat your question? Yeah, one of us. Yeah, we're both breaking up. I think a little bit here. Um, is the newsletter information also on those websites? Hello. Is the newsletter information on those websites as well? Oh yeah. So, so yeah, I have obviously I, I blog about everything that that I I uh, have come across, and I try to teach in, in the most simple and basic way that I can to everybody that I basically went through, and everything I've learned, I try to share on my my blog, eInvestingForBeginners.com, and then I also have the Value Trap Indicator book that. I have released for sale. And with that, there's there's three different packages. So if people actually want, if you don't want to go through and you don't want to do the work, I actually created a spreadsheet where you can input the the numbers and you can find these on, on the government website. I teach you how to do that in the book as well. But you can input these numbers into the spreadsheet and it will give you the value trap indicator score. So you could analyze a stock within five minutes using the the spreadsheet. So that's a package I include. If if you're interested, that's at valuetrapindicator.com. And people can use offer code RON, R-O-N, and they can get 25% off on all my value trap indicator packages. So you can just get the book if you want. You can get the spreadsheet package as well if you want the spreadsheet to do the work for you. That's, people can do that there. And then uh, really my home base is eInvestingForBeginners.com. So I love to hear questions. If anybody wants to email me, definitely shoot me an email at andrew at eInvestingForBeginners.com and we can talk and discuss and I can go through any questions or concerns you have. Super passionate about value investing and identifying and avoiding value traps. Okay, excellent. We are definitely starting to have technical problems. Uh, I appreciate you joining us, being our guest, Andrew, and sharing some of these insights and uh, also for for that offer that the uh, by inputting the code RON, R-O-N, you would get a discount on the uh, various options available. So uh, I wish you a lot of success with the book, earning a lot of money so you invest uh, and, and uh, invest, do well, and you can share more good advice with us. Hey, th- thank you.
thank you very much, Ron. It was a great honor, and I hope people get a lot of value from what we talked about today. Okay. There's a lot of good information, obviously, we shared today, uh, insights, uh, information. We certainly can't cover every aspect of avoiding losing money on every single stock, although the tips Andrew shared will definitely come in handy when analyzing companies to invest in. It would seem especially prudent if you receive one of those hot stock tips from Uncle Ralph, and Uncle Ralph is one of those guys who's barely making it on Social Security. Uh, and if you do get stock tips, make sure you take take them from people who are wealthier than you are. Personally, I've lost money in a number of stocks that ultimately filed for bankruptcy. Fortunately, none were major positions. Let me just share one that was the most embarrassing. That was Quicksilver Resources, symbol KWK at the time. I felt it was very overpriced, so I shorted the stock. Unfortunately, it continued to go up in price until I finally repurposed purchased my shares at a major loss. Now, here's what's embarrassing. I was actually right. The stock eventually lost nearly 100% of its value and was delisted early in 2015. I was right, but lost money due to not having the conviction and cash reserves to risk holding it longer. Now, I'm not sure that's a good example of the value trap since the indicators were negative, but a better example of the risk of short selling. Although my short positions in 2000, 2008, 2007, and 8 definitely helped my overall portfolio returns. Now, regular listeners of the Wealthy A Radio Show already know their objective is to help 1 million people become millionaires. I'm confident some of the information we discussed today will be extremely helpful in your journey to become one of those millionaires. Remember, one of the best ways to increase your wealth, tune into the show twice a month. We'll share the investment fundamentals, some great ideas, like the indicators to use to avoid the value trap. Many thanks to BI Solutions Corp for sponsoring the show. They are a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix Scottsdale area. The next show, August 10th, 9 a.m., Arizona, same place, same time. And assuming takeoffs equal safe landings, I'll be back in Arizona for that show. Our guest will be Thomas DeShooter. We'll be continuing our series on OPM and talking about OPM and infinite banking. As usual, we provide a lineup of guests and topics on wealthdna.us, and there you'll find the archive of past shows. And I hope you will join us for each of the upcoming shows. If you have some comments, suggestions, a question, just send an email to me, ron at wealthdna.us, so wealthdna.us will keep you posted about future shows and events. Happy investing and avoiding those value traps. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started. <laughs>